and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. And hopefully, at least this week, your family is doing a much better job of holding off the midwinter crud than ours is. I was going to say that, you know, we are podcasting live from the sick room. No, our studio is not the sick room. It might as well be. I think there's not, the dog is not sick. That is the only member of the family right now that is not actively sick. I think a couple of the cats aren't. Yeah, but they're just pains in the butt anyway, so that's mentally ill. (laughs) That's what cats are, is mentally ill. I can't use the real word because we're, we have a clean right Yeah, because we want to keep our clean tag. So, okay, I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> but, yes, barring both mental and physical illness, I think the dog is our only our only <laughs> survivor. Um, I should call out, if you have not seen it already, head over to our website. We had uh, two really great videos that were provided to us, one from our friends over at Haas where we got to see – um, Kevin Magnuson's first day on the job at the Canapolis plant. And if you're wondering, you'll, you can also, you got to watch for it, find out what Kevin Magnuson's password is for the company computer system. The best part of that story was the <laughs> eagle-eyed me found it. You, Mr. IT Security, missed it completely. Well, I was looking at the whiteboard. Uh-huh. <clears throat> So yeah, go ahead and take a look at that. Also, and and I didn't post both the videos. I only posted the one. But two teams uh, released videos this week uh, announcing the first ever startup of their 2017 engines. Uh, both Toro Rosso did and Mercedes did. Mm-hmm. And we posted Mercedes' uh, video with a very in-depth analysis, as you would expect from us, of Mercedes 2017 engine. Yes, I have to tell you that that is the single most um, technical analysis I have ever read of an engine by you. Okay, because I was going to say, it, it is certainly in line with, I think, the expectations that we are giving everybody when it comes to in-depth technical analysis. Exactly. So, yeah, go ahead and take a look at that. Like I said, I didn't share the Toro Rosso one Um Mostly because we didn't have new technical analysis over their engine starting. Well, that was some of it. The other was that it was they they were making it a big deal over you know everybody wants to to be around for the start of it. So it was the whole plant running to the room to go see the engine start. And you didn't care about seeing the janitor run across the the plant. Well, the problem was after about a minute and thirty, I'm like, all right, we get it. Now, <laughs> just start the dang thing, please. <laughs> I understand. Too much drama, not enough engine. Yeah. Excellent. Now, the big question that I have for you is everyone's single complaint about Formula One is how loud are the engines? Are they loud enough? I don't think you can judge based on what we have seen so far. Okay. I mean, keep in mind, this is control, you know, professional driver, closed course, inside the lab, you know. So TBD if this is a loud enough engine. Yeah. Okay. And personally, I've never really cared one way or the other when it came to that. I understand that. That's kind of why I asked you. Okay. But, yeah. While we're on the subject of engine manufacturers. Okay. Long before, actually it was 2004, I think, was the last time 
Ford participated in Formula One, and they did so as an engineer. They did so with Eddie Jordan, on, with the Jordan team. Okay. Um, well, they are renewing their commitment to some motorsport series. Last week was the 24-hour race down in Daytona in which Ford participated, and I think this is the second year that they've participated in that, um, and that's marked a return to WEC for Ford. They, they'd been out of it for several years. They have come back um, and have put together a renewed presence in the sport. Well, as a result of, because a lot of the motorsports journalists that, that cover the Daytona race, since Formula One isn't going on, they're also Formula One journalists, and there is some cross-pollination between the two. So when some folks got the chance, they went up to uh, Ford's head of performance, I believe it was. Um, yeah, director of Ford performance, Dave Persiak, and they asked him, you know, what are your plans in, in the motorsports space? Are you looking at possibly a return to IndyCar? Because apparently they ran in IndyCar for several years. Or even possibly a return to Formula One. To which Ford, or Mr. Persiak over at Ford Performance said, you yeah, know. So we're not looking to do either one. In particular, when it com came to F1, he said, I don't see us getting into that anytime soon. He says, and this should not be a surprise to anybody, Formula One is so expensive. If you look at every series we are in right now, there is a relevance to all the goals and objective, objectives we have in developing our tools, technology, and people and translating that into road cars. Every series that we're in has an element of that. Interesting. Um, as a complete and utter diversion to no. that one. No? No. Okay. Because I'm not done yet. Yes, sir. Because... You know, then the question we go, okay, this is this is Ford. Uh huh. You know, they're they're not. W when you think Formula One in racing pedigrees, most people don't necessarily, especially newer fans, don't think of Ford. That was kind of why I dismissed it. But the reality is, in terms of number of wins through the history of the series, Ford is number two. Really? Ferrari has 225 wins as an engine manufacturer, and Ford has 176. The next closest is Renault with 168. That's why I didn't want you to divert me. Really? Yes. Through their tie-in with Cosworth, Ford had many very successful years in Formula One and in IndyCar. And yet they don't see any relevance to that in their current situation. And that right there is something that I think Liberty needs to take notice of. And Formula One needs to take notice notice of. This was an engine manufacturer who is number two on the win list who's saying, we don't see a point in coming back. Hmm. I think that is something that, that is relevant and worth taking a look at. Um, I do too. But I, mean, I don't understand. There... I, I don't. I don't disagree with their reasons. I mean, you look at what is going on with Honda. You look at what's going on with the smaller teams, and yeah, right now it would be stupid for Ford to consider moving back in. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, but that's the other thing is it's stupid expensive. Mm-hmm. Now you can do your diversion. My small diversion. Yeah. 
Did you happen to see that Audi has uh, released what their Le Mans car is going to look like this year? Are they running Le Mans? Because they, they pulled an, out of WEC. There was an ad on Facebook looking at their Audi car. I will have to go take a look at that because, as you recall, we talked about this, what, December? Mm -hmm. That Audi had announced that they were pulling out of WEC, and Porsche sent that video over to them, encouraging them to come back. Unless what it is is Audi is supporting some privateer teams. It might be. That may be what's going on there. It, It may be. And I will freely admit I didn't read everything. I just happened to see what the car looked like, and it was really hot looking. Well, that's the WEC cars in general. I mean, I mean they're kind of cool a, looking. That's some some nice little hotness there. Well, we'll have to take a look at that and see what's going on there because I was under the impression that Audi was out and, you know, Porsche wants them back, but that they were gone. Maybe they're supporting somebody else, but it was, it was, it was a little piece of hotness that popped up in my Facebook feed today. Okay. Well, we'll have to go take a look at that. See, and that's one thing I have to admit to you is I've never associated Ford with like the hotness that is Formula One and the WEC and all of that type of stuff. There's there's just a level of something that I've never put with the Ford brand. But you also know the story of the Ford GT, right? Right. And the whole point behind that and the new version of the Ford GT is doing apparently extremely well. In the WEC races it's participating in. And that's all fine and Andy. I just don't, you know, when you think about it. Okay, let's 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 put it into to real terms. When you think of the manufactured cars, the publicly available cars mm-hmm. of the teams that have them. Yeah. What do you think of when you think of, of a Ferrari? Well, yeah, it's got you a think little hotness th- to their, it. Their their halo cars are sports cars, where with Ford is much. Their halo cars are typically either the Mustang or the F one fifty, right? <laughs> and you kind of see, you know, the F one fifty going to a tractor pull, not to Formula One. Yeah. Um. You know, you you look at the Mercedes, even though the Mercedes has got a station wagon in its lineup of cars. You still see, you know, pedigree. Yeah. You don't see the Ford Focus having, you know, racing pedigree. Well, it depends, though. I know. There's people that race the Focus. And and not the Focus, but the Fusion. That has been in various guides, and even the Taurus, in various guidelines, has been the best way I can put it is bodywork template for Ford and NASCAR. Yeah, I know, but And you don't consider NASCAR real racing, which is one of the things. <laughs> and I, I actually so, I, probably I'm the, such a snob. Actually, I, know. I think the better way to phrase that is you don't consider NASCAR interesting racing. Exactly. I consider it like bubba racing. I'm sorry. I'm a snob. I freely admit this. That's Tim Taylor, care of tool time. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) As long as the complaints still go to Tim Taylor at Tool Time, that's fantastic. It's when they start coming in to me that's a little bit different. Yeah. But we know I'm a snob, so let's, you know, we admit it, we move forward. So moving out of that death death spiral, (laughs) um, over to Esteban Gutierrez. In his own, I guess, a bit of a death spiral. 
Okay. Um, he is now freely admitting that um, he was too confident in his future in Formula One and too confident that things had, were being taken care of uh, regarding his race seat for 2017. And as a result, says that um, he was caught a bit surprised by the team's decision to sign Kevin Magnuson and actually calls the decision to replace him unfair. Does he live in the same world that we do? Um, I, I just want to review for a minute because I believe I am correct. I may be wrong on the exact number, but I don't believe that Esteban Gutierrez earned Haas a single point. That would be correct. Uh, he did not finish quite a few races. Well, that that wasn't entirely his fault. I, I mean, I, there were mechanical issues. There were other things that impacted him. Impacted, yes. Yeah. Um, but still did not earn a single point where his counterpart, Roman, earned all the points. Yeah. And yet he thinks that it was... Un and, and Kevin Magnuson, I believe, did earn points last year for Renault, right? I think he might have gotten one. I mean, it may not have been a lot but of numbers, but let's face something. it, Kevin Magnuson has been on the podium before. Correct. Um, so, and yet he thought that it was undeserved that he got replaced. You underperformed. You complained loudly. And you're shocked? Well, Esteban calls the decision to replace him unfair. And he requested uh, some talks with Gunther Steiner, who, who's running the team, um, and appointed a new manager, Adrian Fernandez, um, who's a former IndyCar driver, uh, to, to take over in wake of this. Uh, apparently, he held the talks with Gunther Steiner by phone, not in person. Uh, and this was after last year's Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Gutierrez, Esteban says that the situation still isn't fully clear. I'm but pretty he, sure it's pretty clear. But he also acknowledges that he probably should have realized sooner that his seat was not as safe as he thought. Yeah. Woulda, coulda, shoulda? That's... I... And, of course, he goes on to tell Autosport that um, his timing in F1 uh, hasn't been great in the years that he's been there. Together with the fact that he was too confident things were taken care of created another difficult situation for me. He said there was a lot of energy put in by a lot of people to build up the team. It was tricky to have a full package for two cars. At the beginning of the season, things started very slowly on my car. He said there were a lot of inconsistencies. But that started to be something that led to miscommunication inside the team as to what the situation actually was and why certain things were happening. In his opinion, certain things were not completely understood. Awesome. Um, so it, it, it's not his fault. Okay. It's not him, it's them. He's just not that into you. Apparently, well, That's apparently, yeah, ha Gene Haas was, was just, just not, not into you. you. Yeah. Um, I think you might want to go reach out and find a different series to race in, Esteban. Um, now, just to make things full circle, 
And I know you weren't, you didn't ever listen to long term, but there used to be, and they haven't published a podcast in a long time, an Australian podcast pair called F1 Rejects. Yeah. Now, I only call this out because one of their final shows put Esteban Gutierrez on the top pinnacle of the F1 Reject list. Yeah. I think he is living up to this prediction, and those two men were very, very wise to put him there. Well, let's face it. The The real reason Esteban was there was because of his Ferrari and Carlos Slim money. Yep. That's it. I mean, it, it, he has yet to light the world on fire. Now, we may... He insists that we are going to see him in April at the Mexico City E-Prix okay. for Formula E, because it's not a Grand Prix, it's an E-Prix for Formula E. Um, we still haven't heard who he might possibly be driving for. Carlos Swim- Slim is going to start up a team, maybe? <clears throat> I have no idea. But he is still insistent that, that he will be driving in April there. Uh, he also says that he is in talks with a, quote, top Formula One team about becoming their uh, test driver for this year. Now, I, I, I can't help but wonder, is this a top Formula One team much like uh, Indiana Jones and, and, or excuse me, Raised to the Lost Ark at the end, uh, where the U.S. government, the, the representatives from the government were telling Indiana Jones that uh, they had top men working on examining the Ark. Mm. As it was wheeled away into the hidden government storage room. <laughs> top men. Top men. Is, is this that kind of a top team? Well, I'm sure that it is highly secret at this point. Or, or is that what it's going to be? He's going to drive for a quote-unquote top team as as their test driver in on, on the little push cart through the warehouse. <laughs> With the stacks of boxes. And um, also possible. Also possible. I, I at just, an undisclosed location. Perhaps he will be a test driver for one of the many of Monisha's uh, Russian billionaires. Yeah, but I don't think anybody would associate that as a top team. But Monisha thought they were a top uh, investor opportunity. So therefore, well, yeah, as, you know, as one can be persuaded. Um. I think that ultimately, at the end of the day, what this opens up is the debate, once again, of the right for paying drivers to be on the the grid and what their expectations really should be. Are they getting a misunderstanding of their level of performance or their security based on the fact that they're really only on the grid because they have money? And and that's the thing. You know, it's one thing if the financial backing makes it a little easier for a driver with talent to get a seat Mm -hmm. because it is extremely hard to get a seat. It's another when the only reason for a driver to have a seat is because of the money. Pastor Mark. (laughs) Well, see, that's actually, you bring up the exact point I was going for, which is people that have these big bank accounts bankrolling their careers, Mm -hmm. Um, it's awesome for these smaller, uh, low-level teams to have an opportunity to bankroll some development, to be able to move forward. Yeah. And so they might take a, let's say, 
second rate, lower end driver that they can, that comes with a package to encourage development as opposed to somebody that they would cost them twice as much, you know, both their salary and the loss of the development dollars. Um, that might be a slightly better driver. That's, I think, a, a very good deal. It advances the sport. It advances the mid-level and low-level teams. I'm okay with that concept. But you look at some of the drivers that wind up in that position, and I don't think they fully grasp that they're onto the Formula One grid because of the dollars that back them more than their inherent talent. And you get these big egos like a Pastor Maldonado or um, an Esteban Gutierrez who they stop living in the reality. They think that they earned the spot on the grid because they're a second Lewis Hamilton, yeah. and they're not. But to to also be clear, you've got, well, you, you've had drivers like Jensen Button and Fernando Alonso in particular both come with their own level of, uh, there was money that came with them, as much as, yes, the teams are paying their salaries, um, but there were sponsors that followed them. Correct. And the the drivers themselves, Jensen in particular, was known for attracting sponsors to the team, even if they were not his personal sponsors that were bankrolling his career. You know, my understanding is that um, Santander, in particular, the 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 bank. Uh, was a very big backer of Jensen as uh, and also of Fernando. Well, I know that uh, that bank, their sponsorship within Ferrari came when they got Fernando. Yes, and then moved. There, there's still. So I are think they still some. I, I think Ferrari still has some residual tie-in with Santander, just not at the same level. Um. And I never saw anything in terms of joint advertising campaigns with Fernando and Santander uh, as we did with Jensen. You mean the ATM with Jensen inside? The Jensen button, yes. Um, anyway, I think we can move on from beating that horse completely dead. But I do think that it gives a false <coughs> sense of right and security to these paying drivers when they lose sight of the fact that you're on the grid because you come with a bank account, not because you earned the spot from your own record. Now, I mean, granted, people have come to the grid. They've got impressive. You have to be able to drive. Yeah. Or you're not even going to get the sponsorship to help you get further. Yeah. I I'm mean, not I, saying that I'm as good as Esteban Gutierrez. Well, I, well, I was going to say, just, just because I might have the $30 million check from PD Vase, it doesn't mean that any team is going to give me a drive. Well, exactly. I mean, well, let's not misunderstand here. I earned as many points in Formula One last year as Esteban Gutierrez did. I don't want anybody to lose sight of the fact <laughs> that we are equal in the number of points that we earned in Formula One. He just drove 21 more races than I did. Actually, you know, I think I earned the same number of points in Formula One as four other driver, active drivers in Formula One. Pretty impressive. I mean, if... However... Pascal Verlein and Stoffel Van Dorn both scored more points than me. And Stoffel only drove in one race. I know. That says a lot right there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's just be very clear here. Stoffel might have outdone you. Yeah. yeah I was showing up in one race. Okay. By a man named Stoffel. 
Yeah. That every time I see it in print, I keep wanting to call him souffle. Well, the team calls him Staff. Uh. Yeah, whatever. Um, so we know Patty Lowe left Mercedes. Yes. We know Pat Simmons has left Williams. And we assumed that there would be a giant three-card Monty trade-off, right? Well, you know, you, you throw that in with, with also um, Valtteri leaving Williams and headed over to Mercedes as well, and you got to kind of wonder as to what's happening there. But <coughs> word this week is that quite possibly, at the very least, Valtteri's move isn't related to what's happening with Patty Lowe. Okay. Um, according to Autosport, Autosport, and several other outlets have picked up on as well. We don't have anything solid yet other than a couple of things are saying we're hearing rumors that this is what's happening. Yes, Patty Lowe is going to move to Mercedes or, or move to Williams as expected. However, he's also expected to be a major shareholder in Williams. Um, he'll be picking up enough shares, and, and we don't know um, the precise nature of his position uh, and what's going to happen. But according to Autosport, they expect that Patty will become a main board director alongside deputy team principal Claire Williams, group CEO Mike O'Driscoll, and non-executive chairman Nick Rose. Um, as a director, Lowe's position within Williams will be more senior than what Pat Simmons held, as he is understood to have bought a stake in the team. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Possibly uh, he is buying the stake that at one point Toto Wolf had. Because as you recall, Toto Wolf was a shareholder in the team. How Susie got in, involved in that team? He says no. I say yes. I think the entire world says, yeah, okay, whatever. Dude. I call shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The whole world says, yeah, whatever, dude. But he says no. I call shenanigans. Um, now, it's expected that he will start work with the team on March 1st. Uh, but I guess there's still some final details of his departure from Mercedes that need to be resolved and have not been. You know, paying out the uh, vacation time and his gardening leave. And yeah. Now, this this is essentially a return to Williams for Patty. Mm. Um, and Patty has seen some great success uh, over at Williams. Um, Patty was responsible for leading the design of the active suspension systems uh, that were considered to be a key aspect of the performance of the 1992 Williams car, which won the world title for Williams and Nigel Mansell. That's cool. Yeah. Now, as for Pat Simmons' future, uh, Pat says that he will not be joining another Formula One team. He will not? He's done with Formula One? It's dead to him? Well, no, he's not said that. He's got apparently, um, and, and he's had for a while, uh, I guess it's a design for a, a, Autosport design firm uh, that he's going to be turning his attention to. Oh. So, and, and I think the firm has had some, has done some business with, with a few of the teams. Uh, so he won't be returning to a direct role with a team, but he will be focusing more on the design firm. Um, 
He says he spent January looking around at what possibilities there might be. Uh, he's on holiday in February, and during that time, he'll decide on some of the things he might do, and then in March, he'll start doing them. <laughs> yeah. He just he wants I want to be on holiday in February. Yeah. Well, maybe we wouldn't have gotten sick. <laughs> I know. I know. I blame you for getting sick. And Rob Smedley has commented on this year's rules. Okay. What does Rob have he, to say about it? Well, he, he says that, you know, a lot of what car development is in Formula One, it's taking the rules package as presented by uh, the FIA and, and FOM and looking for the loopholes that give you an advantage. Well, that's the Andrew Newey method. Yeah. It, it's it's not it's cheating if there's, the, if there's no rule that says you can't do it. Right. It's riding the razor's edge of the rules. I mean, that's that's where Adrian always found the the percentages and things like that. Um, but what he says is that with this year's rules and, and with every re- revision of the rules, it becomes harder and harder to find those loopholes. Well. And he said in particular um, in the last several years – because the of who makes up the technical committees that are creating the rules, and that it is the teams that have an interest. Everyone who's involved is looking for ways to um, close off the loopholes from their competitors, and it becomes that much harder to find said loopholes. Right. Well, I mean, part of it is to be expected. I mean. Part of that is the water is wet. As the the sport develops over time, you create less and less radical changes, which is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, talking about that, you know, that's why we don't have six-wheel cars on the track anymore, is that these radical ideas um, keep getting smaller and smaller, and now we're looking for, you know, percentages of inclines on fins to be the radical changes. And... It becomes less obvious what the differences are between the cars. So what Rob had to say is that uh, the senior technical people in the teams are of the mind that we're all looking for a loophole. We're all trying to get the start on our competitors. But as these rules get written, and because it's a collaborative process involving these senior technical people, and it's written by people who are looking for loopholes, then the loopholes are pretty much closed off in the regulations. This set of regulations has been very much at the forefront of that. We've tried to close down the loopholes as and when. Do loopholes or areas of high exploitation still exist? Of course. Have we or other people found them? It remains to be seen. Interesting. Now, there was also an article this week that took, um, managed to get a couple of other angles uh, of the images of the Manor car for 2017 other than just the the original nose-on one that we first saw that was put out by the team. And when you get a couple of different angles, you get to see, uh, you get a much better understanding and and a much better impression of what the 2017 cars are going to look like. And the thing that kind of struck me is the, the one design feature that seems to have returned is, and you got to go back, I think it's to... 2009 or 2010 in that general area where the cars themselves appeared to be much more uh in terms of height were were much shorter and had kind of like a continuous fin it was it's being called a shark fin behind the air intake towards the 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 tail of the car Mm. 
that is present on the manor design for next year. Interesting. So there, that may be a feature that we see come back on more cars. That'll be interesting. It will be interesting since the manor has already released what their car would have been. Yes. Um, to see how close the other cars are to it. You know, is this a preview of what we're going to see or were they like in left field? Yeah. Ferrari this past week, um, they took a tactic we've seen them take many times in the past, including, oh, one other time in the off season. They wrote a letter. Oh, no. They wrote a letter to the FIA saying, hey, we're considering developing this thing. Before we go too far down this path, can you tell us if it's going to be legal? Who were they uh, trying to box into a corner this time? Well, that's what it's not completely clear. But what they were asking about is basically they were looking for a way or, or they claim that they are developing something or considering developing something that would essentially give a driver a preloaded start sequence. Um, and it's been likened to like a, a launch control type of a thing. Mm. But basically it allows the driver in the run-up to the start uh, to try out various settings. And if they are comfortable with them and like them, preset them into the car so that when the lights go out, they kick off this preset start sequence and away the car goes for the perfect start. Oh. In a nutshell, that's what they claimed that they were looking into and sent a letter saying, hey, can we do this? To which the FIA said, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> can't do that it's not clear if this is because truly they are trying to research this and wanted to honestly know if it's legal or if it's they got wind that somebody else was doing it and they said yeah we can't pull this together fast enough so let's just throw it at the FIA and see if the FIA will ban it which we've seen them do in the past All right. interesting I wonder who I wonder who was trying to do that or how they would have found out that somebody was trying to do that. Yeah. I mean, really? It's a kind of an ingenious thought of, you know, if the driver pre-programs <coughs> what they want to happen at the start, it's still a driver-controlled start. Yes and no. Because what the, the intention behind that rule, and apparently it is still the requirement that the driver is fully in control of the start. And the thought is, by doing this, this pre-programmed sequence before this start, they're the not drive, in control of right, the start. And, and instead they get to do a little testing to see what makes the most sense before the actual start. And then they're just programming it into the car. But, okay, beyond the programming it into the car part, they do practice starts. They do test what makes the most sense to, to do the start. They do, but it's still reliant on the driver when the lights go out to make that sequence happen as opposed to push the button and, and the car snaps into whatever, whatever the sequence, sequence of settings to needs do. to be. Yeah. It's a difference between setting it up five minutes before the start or having to actually go through all of the sequence. As, as it go, happens, yes. As it happens, yeah. I get the, dif the difference, but eh, an interesting uh, concept to push the rules. Speaking of Ferrari, while we're on the topic of Ferrari, mm -hmm. the minor story, uh, next, well, this coming week, Pirelli is doing one of their tire tests. Right. They will be using the Ferrari mule car to do that. I, I, I know you were 
you know, on the edge of your seat. You wanted to know what was going to wow, happen. Wow, was I ever. This kept me up last night. Thank you for sharing so that I, I can sleep peacefully now. I thought so. Thank you. Um, they're also, and, and this is, good, I think, going to be something to keep an eye on. Uh, Ferrari has, has let word get out that they are um, trying a new design of the pistons in their engines to improve efficiency and improve power. But from what it sounds like, because it changes the pressures in the engine and stuff, I, mean, I don't want to get into the technical details, but this could be a somewhat on-the-edge move for Ferrari performance-wise, mm. that either it's going to pay off and work well for them and deliver them more power, or they're going to end up with a much more unreliable engine that's going to blow up and cause all kinds of problems along the way fantastic uh they're also apparently expanding the use of 3d printing both in the manufacturing of the engine and in some of the aero bits and we know that some of the teams have been playing with uh some 3d printing so that they didn't have to go and ship broken parts to the track or, or replacement parts to the track and so that they were working towards that well it sounds like ferrari is trying to go and expand on that a bit more we don't have the full details of what they're doing but they are saying that they're trying to leverage that more than they have in the past Okay, that could be kind of cool. Hey, you broke a, uh, a front wing. Let's just print you up a new one. Yeah, let, let, let's go ahead and, and track side in the garage. Spit that out. Yeah. We'll, we'll print up the, the bent fin that you uh, bent as you bumped into Seb. Meanwhile, teams are still telling Pastor Maldonado that, no, we don't have enough to reprint the entire car. <laughs> Ooh, can you imagine the cheating if you could print tires? <laughs> um, Ooh. Yeah, chew on that one for a little bit. Only if they can get the compounds right. I know. The other bit of Ferrari news, and this is one that I think bears watching. You know, two weeks ago we talked about how Liberty was uh, considering revisiting the legacy payments. Mm -hmm. that would impact Ferrari significantly. Right. Well, Sergio Marchionne, mm -hmm. Ferrari president, uh, Ferrari in general had an investor's call this past week, and Sergio spoke at it. Um, and he uh, had some comments to say about Formula One, uh, not the least of which is he believes that Due to the uncertainty beyond 2020, he does not believe that there is uh, much of an incentive for teams to invest in Formula One. Really? Yeah. What he says, he says, we're starting to explore the opportunity now, and specifically this comes into blind, uh, buying into Formula One. One of the ideas that, that uh, Liberty has floated and Chase Carey has floated is for the teams to take an ownership stake in the sport. Okay. To help fund and keep things going. I, I think this is kind of similar to uh, several of the American sports where they're franchises and they, they own and they can they partly control the destiny of it. Now, again, let's think about how well that's worked in the past with the strategy group. And that's that's why I'm like really hesitant here is. The people that can afford ownership are going to start controlling the destiny of the sport, which means that the people that can't afford um, ownership will be subject to being relegated to um, a back marker. 
But the reality is, I think there's a lot more going, especially when we hear the rest of his comments. I don't think this really has anything to do, as, as much as he started off addressing the possibility of teams. But I think there's more to it because what he says is, we're in discussions with Liberty, and I recently had a meeting with Chase Carey at, uh, at Liberty. The issue is not just the question of the financial investment. This is something that we do for a living in a very serious way. The Concord Agreement expires in 2020. So becoming a non-voting shareholder in an entity, which effectively keeps us trapped in without knowledge of what 2021 and the later world will look like, it is something I consider unwise. So one of the things we have tabled with Chase, and I think we're not the only ones that are tabling these concerns, is clarity on what the post-2020 world looks like and what Ferrari may be able to get from its involvement in Formula One activities. Once we have clarity, then I think it becomes a lot easier to decide whether we want to participate in this venture. I don't think these comments have anything to do with buying a share. I think this is a comment of, you cut back on the amount of money that we're going to get from Formula One, and we're out of here. Well, I'm sure that's the threat that they're making, but... With Bernie Eccleston standing in the corner going, see? That's why I did the deal I did. Uh Uh-huh. But even still, I don't know. But it's very interesting comments coming from Sergio Marchioni. Well, okay, but you have to understand, if, if I... Let's let's make this not stupid money anymore, but let's just give this. If I said, hey, I'm going to give you $100 every year because you're the dad in this sport that we're dealing with. Uh-huh. And I'm going to give the boy $5 every year because he's just the boy. And uh-huh. he hasn't been around as long as the dad has been around. Yeah. And then a new mom comes into the deal. And says, we're going to cut a different deal in this plan. A new mom, huh? A new mom. I didn't know I was upgrading. <laughs> I'm not saying you're upgrading. <laughs> there is no upgrading currently. Oh. But okay, let's just say a new a new budget master comes in to the deal. <laughs> and says, all right, I'm going to reshuffle the, the organization. I'm going to say that there's no more legacy payments coming in. Well, you're of course going to you know, protest and say, well, I'm going to be out of here if I can't get my $100 anymore. I count on my $100. Well, but are you really actually going to, you know, leave? Well, I, I things are a little different there between a family and a well, race series. I was series. trying not to. I mean, there, there, there is that. Um, and, and, and now you're for, forcing me to, to jump ahead a little bit. I'm sorry. Because... The thing that we have to make clear, and, and, and Sergio touches on it a bit here, is we're still under a commercial agreement until 2020. Right. It's it's a legal binding contract. Right, and nothing's going to change right now. And if Liberty makes an effort to manipulate that contract at this point, prior to 2020, there's going to be hell to pay. Ferrari's not going to put up with it. Mercedes isn't going to put up with it. I'm guessing Renault isn't going to put up with it. And Red Bull certainly isn't going to put up with it. And you lose those teams, you're going to kill the sport. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to attract anybody else to come in to replace them with this idea of, well, yeah, we had a contract with them, but um, 
I've altered the deal. Pray I don't alter it again. Mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> no, but I think what Sergio is talking about is what does post-2020 look like? Give me a glimpse of are we going to continue under the status quo or are you going to make, you know, left turn changes to what the 20, you know, post-2020 looks like? You can keep the status quo for the next two years, three years, but. What does that, you know, give me a glimpse as to what you're thinking. Because if the next iteration of this means I don't get my stupid money anymore, I have to rethink my position in this process. Well, I I, I think it's that, you know, Liberty's already made comments that they want to do away with that historical payment. Mm-hmm. And this is Sergio saying, if you do that, we're not going to be particularly happy. Right. But... There's more to it, and this is why I now have to jump ahead, because originally we were going to do this last because, you know, making fun of Manisha Kelton born is, is a good way for us to end our show. <laughs> but now we need to do it early. <laughs> Jeez. Monisha Mon- Kelton board, and, and she's upset again. It's because she can't count. <laughs> no, the, the, this, is, this is not. Um, Monisha... And, and Sauber went forward to uh, the FIA, and I think we talked about this a couple of months ago, or, or went to FOM and said, hey, we'd like to get an advance on our prize payments for mm-hmm. for next year. It's something they've done before. They need to keep the cash flowing. Force India did it as well, um, and I believe somebody else had tried to do it as well. However, it's my understanding that Haas blocked that move. And I didn't know that Haas had a say in this. But my understanding is that Haas blocked those early payments from happening, which has set those two teams on the back foot. Whoa. Yeah. So as a result of that, Monisha is understandably upset because this is something that they've been able to do before. They're struggling. They're looking for the money to help them get through this lean time of the year because once the races start, some money starts coming in. And this is, for all the teams, this is a low cash flow period, and we know this. So Manisha has come forward and said, as, as she has said in the past, Liberty needs to address the financial distribution system that is in place in Formula One, and we cannot wait until 2020. And she points at what happened with Manor as why this needs to happen and that other teams are going to be in trouble if this is not addressed before 2020. The problem is we have a contract until 2020. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what, because I don't know the details of the contract, I don't know what loopholes exist to allow changes to be made to that. Um, is, it, is it easy enough to make the loophole that Haas can't block a payment early but keep the agreement in place? I mean, the thought that they could renegotiate the entire contract seems unlikely and not impossible contracts get renegotiated all the time yeah but what you know it's not set in stone to to turn around and renegotiate the payment schedule Mm -hmm. not necessarily the payment amounts but the payment schedule should be something that teams should be open to right now, when we start looking at payment amounts, that's a different story. 
And yes, even that needs to be looked at because, again, the small teams that came in and, and, and originally they came in because there were supposed to be cost caps that were coming into place. There were supposed to be several protections that would have allowed these teams to um, compete on a more level playing field that did not happen when they actually entered. And as a result, we lost HRT. We lost Caterham. We lost Caterham and we lost Manor twice. And there's no real is as much as Haas came in, there's no real incentive for some. We, I mean, we just talked about it with Ford. There's no incentive for somebody to come into this sport. Yeah. And in many ways, it's we're we're big fans of a, of a, a comedy group called uh, the Capital Steps. And one of the jokes that they used to have during the previous administration, when the economy was doing bad, was. Their President Obama impersonator would, would stand up and go, you know, people come to me all the time and they say in these, t- in these difficult times, what is your advice for starting a small business? And he says, and I tell them, what you need to do is start a big business and wait. Exactly. And that's how you get a small business. <laughs> it's kind of like that over in Formula One. Yeah. Why start a small business? Because, or, or why start a small team? Because you're not going to succeed. Right. And Gene Haas is kind of nuts in what he and admits he was kind of nuts in what he did. He did it because he wanted to. That was a heart thing. He had the money. He could do it, and he wanted to. I mean, it it, it must be nice to be Gene Haas and have truckloads of money that you could just light on fire. He probably would have gotten a better financial return <laughs> on lighting it on fire. Yeah, maybe, but. As we know, he you know, he is now giving Kevin Magnuson his nice, lovely cube. Yes. <laughs> so something needs to be done. Um, I don't agree. I mean, we we mentioned it before. We don't agree with these historic payments. As much as we like Williams, and Williams is getting one, and they need that, and I don't necessarily. There's got to be a more equitable way to distribute money within the teams yes you reward success and you make sure the successful teams get more money but if you have a bad season that shouldn't mean you walk away with nothing well there's that piece and here's the here's again you know distributing the numbers could it not be a situation of if i have a million dollars to to lay out across all the teams. Instead of giving fifty thousand dollars or fifty uh, five hundred thousand dollars to Ferrari just because Ferrari is Ferrari, mm-hmm. and then taking five hundred thousand dollars and distributing it across the teams, and that's just my simplistic methodology there. What if I took that whole million and spread it across the teams? I'm willing to bet that based on some of those historic payments. And based on where they're falling in the grid, instead of making ninth get what the same thing that a fourth place team would have gotten, you would be able to give everybody a little bit more because you've spread it out a little bit better. Well, how about this? Think about this, okay? So you still have your teams that are going and they're selling, they're looking for sponsors. And obviously, the more successful teams are getting more sponsors and you still have your prize fund that is giving out money proportionally based on success but what if also liberty media turned around and said you know we're going to sell a sponsorship deal 
first off, they tell all the teams that you need to turn around and reserve these parts of your car for series sponsors. And Liberty Media went out, in addition to whatever the teams are doing for their own stuff, and they sold a sponsorship package to whomever that said as part of our sponsorship package, and this, is, this would be completely different from the trackside sponsorship, but as part of our sponsorship package, you get placement of your branding on every single car in the grid. Okay. And the money that comes in from that sponsorship package is evenly divided between all the teams. That's an interesting idea. So that no matter what car they focus on on the TV, you your have, your, your branding, branding is, is shown car. no matter what because it's on every single car. And imagine the value you get because every single car on the grid carries your branding. And there are a couple. I mean, obviously, Pirelli has that. Um, I think it's Richard Meal, the the watch company. I think also has something where they're on almost every. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily something that that's done through Liberty Media or, or through FOM. But what if that there was a sponsorship package that said you are on every single car? Maybe that's the side of a tail fin, or the a barge board or something like that. That's an interesting concept and let that become sort of the baseline. Everybody gets the X dollars yes. from the series sponsorship and that's even across the board. And then you get prize money that is based on your based performance. On performance. But also again, there's none of the, okay, if you're in 11th place, you get no money. That's what has to go away. I mean, if you change nothing else, you have to stop with the line that says below this line you get no money. In the first three years, you get no money. You get no money. You get no money. Those things have got to go away. You have to be able to earn dollars in your first year. Yeah. Well, see, the problem is, though, okay, you want to have new car, new teams come on the grid. But if you turn around and, and that prize money pot becomes ever diminishing because as you have new teams coming onto the grid, you need to spread that prize pot over a greater number of teams. Mm -hmm. Does that become a disincentive for your winning teams to want the additional new teams to be founded and started? Because every time there's a new team, that means they're getting less money. But there is a limit to the number of cars that can be on the grid. So wait one second on that one. If the number is, and it's it's not big, it's like 27 or something like that, mm -hmm. or 28. So that means that there can only be 14 teams. If it's 28, it's 14 teams. Yeah. Um, and then at, the, at some point, if you want to expand... You, you're encouraging new teams to be on the grid. That is your max number of slots for payout is 14. Let's pretend I'm, I'm right on my numbers here. Okay. At some point, what you would then have to do to encourage new teams is take the back markers and divide them down to one card piece so that you can make that tail, make it a longer, leaner tail so that maybe the last three teams could have one car. So you have six teams, one car each. They divide the money down 
it gets smaller and smaller as you get down there. You're not going to get the points with one car that you could be competitive up at the top end to get the big bucks, but it could get you in the door. It could get you that way. That's the only way you could expand if you put a limit on the number of teams that could exist in Formula One. The problem here is it's very simple. If you don't pull away from saying that at, so, at certain numbers you don't get paid, you're talking, and it, for the first three years you don't get paid, you're talking about asking someone to put in millions and millions of, of dollars. With no return. In, with no ROI for the first four years. Yeah. That's not reasonable. And and I think that's the other thing that, that, that makes what happened with Manor this year so tragic is Haas comes in, they overperform, they, they plant themselves firmly in the mid-pack, mm-hmm. and they're not going to get a dime because of the contractual requirements, and Manor doesn't get anything because they got bumped down into 11th. Even though Haas, which is up in the mid-pack, isn't getting any money to begin with right? for contractual reasons. So they forfeit their pot, and Manor doesn't get anything. And let me take a wild guess who got that in, who got that money because it didn't get respread. Oh, it went to Liberty. Yeah, exactly. But there, it's all it's all funny money, and it's all played with and moved around at some feeling like somebody's whim. And nobody appreciates that feeling. And when we get down to it, Formula One is a sport, but it's also a business. It's got to show a positive ROI or people won't continue. I don't care if your name's Ferrari or not. And if the only reason Ferrari's got a positive ROI is that heritage payment, then they suck at the sport. Well, Ferrari's keep in mind, though, Ferrari's position is that the only reason why they manufacture cars and sell cars is to fund their racing efforts. Okay. They are a, they believe that they are a racing and performance company that happens to sell cars, and not the other way around. And that's fine. But if the only reason they can make their Formula One division have a positive ROI is a heritage payment, if that is the linchpin, then they suck at racing and performance. Is it that or is it because of the amount of money it takes to be successful in Formula One is so large that even a niche car manu- performance car- high-end car manufacturer can't go and be competitive without additional assistance? But Because Mercedes is a mass market company that is plowing a metric ton of money into the program. Red Bull is plowing a ton of money from their highly successful drinks business. But see, you don't do that at that level unless there's some form of a positive ROI, no matter how far out you go. Is it that the division of Formula One loses money, but the positive goodwill and the advertising well, that's dollars what they off, offsets that? I mean, that's what Red they Bull is not, you know, can Red Bull say that because we compete in Formula One, we sell more energy drinks it is entirely possible but i mean that's that's why they're in a sport is because they believe that the sport fits in with the image that they want their brand to have of being extreme right but at some point somebody looks at a balance sheet and says 
extra as extreme as this sport is and it fits in with our branding it no longer pays us to do it we have to win enough it needs to at least come close to breaking even when we put it down on a balance sheet ferrari's heritage payment is so out of scale from everything we hear it's not like it's like 10 percent more it's it's off the charts out of yeah. scale if that's what's making that balance sheet balance then everything's out of whack in their system well everything's out of whack in formula one in general in formula one i'm flipping it on its head and saying if that's the only way you can compete in the sport is to have that heritage payment you need to rethink your dedication to the sport because you're obviously funneling money elsewhere okay while we're talking about money and payments and finances, again, I'm shifting the order a little bit. Um, McLaren, <laughs> Which is good because I didn't follow the order in the first place, so yeah. we'll keep going forward. McLaren, Zach Brown. Yes. He has said that 2018 will be a game changer for the team. And part of that is he is committed to finding the team a new title sponsor. And the team hasn't had one since Vodafone left them. Right. Possibly driven away by Ron Dennis. Okay. Um, but he says that they, the team absolutely has to find a title sponsor for 2018. Um, he actually says that he does not believe the team can go very much longer without a title sponsor if there isn't one in 2018. Wow. He believes that the situation is critical. Um, he does say that the team has made uh, significant improvements and has moved forward in quite a few areas that may not be visible, but he believes all of those areas that they have moved forward in will assist them in getting that title sponsor. Um, he does say that it, it's not going to happen in 2017. He said this year's a wash. It takes about a year to go in and work with a major corporate sponsor to get the get these deals in place and make it happen. But he says that he want he needs to find a sponsor for 2018. Well, we've been saying that McLaren needs a title sponsor for a while. So I'm glad to see he's drawn the line in the sand that says it's going to happen now, but it it's 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 needed. I think the question is though um will that title sponsor be um will they be paying the same kinds of crazy money that Ron Dennis was initially demanding? Because the word was that Ron Dennis was demanding a minimum of $50 million a year. It was either $50 million or £50 million a year to become their title sponsor. But since they weren't having the success and the performance to back that up, nobody was interested. Right. And I think that hopefully Zach Brown realizes that this year they need to show success to be worth the money to be a title sponsor. Or they flip the model and they say, we're going to cut the price of the title sponsorship to get you on the car so that we can fund advancement. Now, we also haven't heard who is replacing ExxonMobil over at McLaren. Because as you recall, they walked off. They're now down with, uh, uh, with Red Bull. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Red Bull is still posting pictures from their event down in Houston last week with ExxonMobil. Wow. Yeah. Apparently, this has just been an off-the-charts thing for them. Uh, and I don't recall ever hearing about such an event with McLaren. Well, you know how Red Bull loves their events. That was yeah, one they of the want to promote that, themselves. One of the things Bernie loved about them so much. So, yeah, I don't know who is going to be taking on McLaren from that perspective. 
Because that could be the other thing. If they don't have somebody to give them gas, how are they going to run the cars? True. Uh, in one further way of shedding the Ron Dennis legacy, McLaren has announced uh, that they are renaming their car for 2017. Now, initially, they had announced that the car was going to be called the MP432. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, that MP4, and MP4 has been something that has been in place. at Mc- It's been a tradition at McLaren f- since 1981 when, oh, Ron Dennis, Dennis took over the team. Uh, originally, that MP4 stood for uh, Marlboro Project 4 because the team's title sponsor back then was Marlboro Cigarettes. Right. Um, however, when they lost Marlboro, as part of the, the change in the laws, Ron Dennis kept the tradition, changed it to McLaren Project 4. Got it. However, with him gone now, the new, te- the new car name will be known the MCL32. Ah. McLaren. Yes. Uh, and... It is still planned that they will launch on February 24th. Very cool. Along with new team wear. Which you are hoping will not include the gradient. Oh, please, make it without the gradient. I've already sent that tweet over to McLaren. I am hoping that somebody at McLaren is listening because that gradient was just god-awful ugly. Now, when you talk about team wear, I have to give a shout-out to my buddies. Your friends over at Puma? My friends over at Puma. Okay. This year... Thanks to, I'm going to claim it. I'm going to own it. Thanks to encouragement from me, <laughs> they are actually carrying, the U.S. version is carrying three teams wear this year. So they're actually going to officially carry the Mercedes wear? Yes. And that's at the Puma online store? The Puma online store and um, the few Puma stores that are in the United States. Okay. Um, now, one of the things to note about the way Puma is organized, and Puma is a German company, mm-hmm. they do support other drivers and uh, series yes. and all sorts of things out of the global Puma world. But all of the different localities uh, nation, uh, worldwide pick and choose what makes sense for their location, and there are certain buying minimums that they have to buy into to pick up the the sponsorship and extend it for like Mercedes or Red Bull and Ferrari, which are the three that they're going to be supporting this year. They had dropped Mercedes during the Schumacher years because they weren't doing as well in the United States. Um, Red Bull was winning a lot of them. So as these things are, they're trailing. I had encouraged them, because that's part of my thing, to pick up Mercedes again as being one of the top teams. So they have picked up, obviously, they're going to pick up the top three teams of the year, the Ferrari, the Red Bull, and the Mercedes lines. They will be launching all of that team wear in the next couple of weeks. So if you look at usa.puma.com, you will see it. Well, okay, Here, here's my question, and, and maybe you don't know this. Okay. Um, but I also happen to have gotten an email from the F1 store mm-hmm. where they announced, hey, Puma's leisure wear line is out. Yeah. Come check it out. Is that a different launch, and will there be different styles? I believe it is different styles okay. than are available. Um, sometimes they might be have some crossover pieces, but generally it is different product lines. You can get a little bit of, of stuff here and a little bit of stuff there. Um Like, for example, I don't know about some of the official team shirts and things like that. Um, The Red Bull team shirt that we got, 
um, was a one-off that I was able to pick it up at Puma. That's not something normally they carry in their store. Okay. And I, I, More I should fan gear is what I would say. Throw out two things. One is uh, again share the the URL where you can go to check that stuff out, and the other is. Puma sends out all kinds of email announcements and stuff like that for deals throughout all their stores. Mm-hmm. How do folks sign up for those? Uh, they can sign up for their email program online at us.puma.com. Um, and that is the best way to get early knowledge of sales and promo codes. Um, and enjoy the, the email program. Okay. But yeah, it's it's a it's a cool thing. It's cool stuff, and oftentimes their F one gear is not excluded from the big sales. Like they have private sales and friends and family that all come out in the email programs. And while the Rihanna product that is like <laughs> stuff that I have never understood ever is always excluded, um, their F one stuff is generally not. So it's a way to get F one gear at a bargain if you wait for the sale. There, Which is and, the way we buy all of Michael's yeah, gear. Yeah, well, I was going to say it's typically a whole lot cheaper to get your 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 team wear from Puma uh, cheaper if you go through Puma's website than if you go to Formula One's website. Uh, truly, truly. But, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see uh, that the uh, launches are starting to happen of the new gear. So moving on to other stuff. Yeah. Uh, the FIA sent out uh, a letter to the drivers uh, asking them for uh, just a, a general vote on the halo and okay. it, whether or not they support it. Because, you know, still there, there's a target for 2018 uh, to decide whether or not to, well, to, to incorporate some form of head protection. I've heard this categorized two different ways. Okay. I've heard several outlets say that drivers rejected it. And then I've heard what I think is probably a bit more accurate is that um, they were split 50-50. Either they like and, and that was really what the response, I, I think it was like one off from a 50-50 of they don't like it and they don't want it. So it was like so 51-49 opposed. Yeah, that kind of a thing. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that makes both stories true. The drivers rejected it, and it was really close. So th- there's still no final decision on the Halo. Now, as of right now, because it's up to the teams to decide whether or not they want to incorporate it, as of right now, all it takes to incorporate it for 2018 is a majority vote by the teams to amend the rules to break, to introduce the Halo. After April 1st, it must be a unanimous vote. April 1st of 2017 or 2018? Yes, of 2017. It must be a unanimous vote to introduce it for 2018. All right. So we'll probably March is when we'll actually get, you know, it'll start spinning up as to whether or not it's happening. Yeah. Um, we do have some housekeeping news. Do we have any more Formula One news? Yes. Okay. We're not done. Keep going. <laughs> I'm so lost in our list of things to do at this point, so I'm okay. sorry. Um, Nico Rosberg, uh, he was retired. asked this past— Well, yes, he's retired. <laughs> but he was asked this past week, um, you know, what his future is, what he's going to talk to Val— Would he talk to Valtteri about uh, Lewis? And because, you know, he's been racing Lewis for a long time. He knows Lewis. Um 
possibly knows how to get under Lewis's skin, possibly doesn't. I mean, there, there's a debate about that. Uh, but what he has said is he will not advise Valtteri on uh, ways to beat Lewis and how to beat Lewis. Mm. He says he will not do that. He will. Valtteri needs to compete on his own. Uh, and he has also said that he is not, as much as he is looking at opportunities to get involved in motorsport in some way, he is not looking at Formula E. Interesting. And we also got word that, uh, from Felipe Massa. He had his test drive of the Jaguar for Formula E car. Mm -hmm. um, all he would say is that it is a different style of driving. And that is the only word that we have got from his test. Interesting. Um, just to give you an idea of some of the expectations that Renault has for Nico Hulkenberg, they said they want to create a, an iconic driver team association between Nico and the team. Interesting. So what they're thinking of is, you know, right now when you think of great success, you think of Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, Sebastian Vettel and Red Bull, Michael Schumacher and Ferrari. They want to create the same kind of partnership between them and Nico Hulkenberg, which I think is great. I think it's also a little too soon to try and do that. Well, uh, Hulk is going to have to have some success to have that iconic relationship. That's it. You know, I, but, I, I mean, everyone that you just named, they were world champions at that team. I, I, I get it, but you have to have the success. You don't, you don't sit back and you talk about, Oh, I don't know. Maldonado at Williams or something like that. Oh no. We talk about Maldonado at Williams. <laughs> We talk um, about Maldonado at Lotus too. I mean, come on. You you don't. It's just have, not a great association, but. right? Um, you know, you don't. It, it's just it, those are. That's harder when you don't have the success. Yeah. Um, I, you you just you don't talk about Cothard at Jordan. I mean. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I could, well, no, I don't think David Cothard drove. Who for Who was the one that drove for Jordan? That's now a commentator. Is that no? It was. No, you're 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 thinking Paul DeResta in Force India. Okay, also that, but somebody but drove for Jordan. I thought Kothar drove for Jordan before he went to Red Bull. No, I don't believe so. The Benetton team? Possible. See, I'd have to go looking. We'll it have up to now. go look it up. Yeah, you, I mean, you do have the book. Yeah, but it of, doesn't cross-reference like that. Oh, okay. It, it goes by race. Oh. I need by team. <laughs> Got it. Our driver. I need some cross-reference pieces. Okay. We need a concordance. Got it. So, yeah, that that's all I've got now because we had to jump ahead. Originally, Monisha was going to end it for us, and we were going to pick on Monisha more, but we've already done that. So. All right. So, obviously, we have homework now uh, for some cross-referencing of teams and drivers. Um, but we also have some housekeeping. Okay. We need to talk about the next couple of weeks. Yes, actually, we do, since you have dropped bombshells <laughs> on us. There, um, there's a little travel. I'm ever hopeful that we will still be able to put a show out next week. I'm just not promising. It will be a bonus show if we get one next week. Okay. There will assuredly not be a show the weekend after. Okay. What was the weekend after? President's Day weekend. We're not going to have a show that weekend? We're not having a show that weekend, unless you're going to do it, unless it's going to be the Bloke and the Boy show. 
Okay. I'm going to go be Amish. Oh, the, okay. <laughs> that, that That's when you're going off to your quilting retreat again. Yes. Got it. You say that like I do that every weekend, and I do not. <laughs> um, anyway, so for because of travel for me, I will be um, out of pocket for the next couple of weekends. But I'm going to hopefully squeeze in maybe a short bonus show next week. Yeah, we'll see what we can get in. I, I don't know if we necessarily want to be gone for two weeks, but it also depends on what's happening. Um, although after President's Weekend, we start getting car launches. We get car launches starting after President's Day weekend, then we go into testing. Yep. Um, and so then things like start looking good again. And, we get, and then we head right into Australia. Because we are at this point, I believe, under 55 days until the start of the season. Well, we are starting to feel spring because I saw that the truck was loaded for the Cleveland Indians to head down to spring training. <laughs> um, we are about a week and a half off of uh, pitchers and catchers reporting, which is always the sure sign that spring is in the air. But have no fear, we're not going to start covering baseball. No, no. I only use it as a marker for, I, I only know that it is February 14th, the pitchers and catchers report. Um, so it's spring is in the air, which means that we start launching cars. Then we have winter testing, although it's more like spring testing. And seriously, two weeks after spring test, winter testing is over, we are in Australia. Well, not us, but Formula One is. They're leaving us behind. Somebody has to hold down the fort in the greater Cleveland area. Apparently. To be the beacon of F1 hope. So, yep, just a reminder, we will try and have a show next week. We don't know if we're going to pull it off. But uh, other than that, remember, um, if you're not sharing our stuff, you need to do that. Get the word out. We appreciate those of you that did share our stuff. Yes. Um, and more shares, please. And on that, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.